Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Okay, everybody, welcome back. And today we have... Kendra Fletcher on. And in just a second, we're going to let her introduce herself. But um, we're kind of in the middle of our Lent series right now. Yep. And um, you'll find out why we have Kendra on for the, this part of the series. But Kendra, would you introduce yourself all the way from the West Coast? Sure. Yeah. So I am. I am. I'm a California girl, born and raised. Born and raised. Um, and oh, there I'm, you I'm, go. I mean, yeah. state, nobody wants yeah, I'm in that state nobody wants to live in anymore, but um, but we love it. I don't know. The weather's <laughs> awesome. I think I would take the weather. Except for like the wildfires and such. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I know. And flooding right now, but um, oh both of those things far from where we are. So good. It's good right now. It's good. There's no earthquakes currently. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so my husband and I, we've been married 27 years. We're, we're old parents because we went and had... just a ton of children. Um, and we didn't set out to do that, but we, um, we, we were enjoying them. So we kept having them. (laughs) We were enjoying (laughs) what made them and no, I'm kidding. But, um, (laughs) we, uh, we have, uh, eight children, four are now adults. Two of them are married and, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's chaos all the time. It's not even organized chaos. It's chaos all the time. Uh, but we, um, I didn't know where I was going to go with this. Where was I going with all of these children? Um, yeah, so we, we met in college and um, we went along and had eight children together. And that's actually part of our story and why we ended up just having everything overhauled and pulled out underneath us uh, by God, which is really the best part of the whole story. Um, so that's, that's where we are. My husband is a dentist by day and um, just a super fun guy. I mean, no, nobody says that about their dentist, but I honestly, <laughs> he is a super fun guy. He, uh, he celebrates international talk like a pirate day and the entire office dresses up like pirates. Oh, and, awesome. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of dentist he is. Uh, but, and I'm home with kids still homeschooling a few of them. Um, I have the, the youngest is full-time special needs, uh, public schooled, which has been an awesome thing too. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the story in a nutshell. So, so your, your oldest four are adults. What is the age range of the younger four that are still at home? So my four at home, I have a high school senior, a high school sophomore, uh, both girls. So that's fun. <laughs> I have three teenage girls at the moment. Um, and then we have a 12 year old just yesterday. And then um, our little guy's 10. So yeah, it's crazy. And our oldest turned 26 and 24 next week. So. Oh, wow. It's crazy. Are We're expecting all- our first grandbaby. Are they all biological children? Yes, they wow. are. It's crazy. Yes. And I, I had them one at a time. And yeah. So crazy. Okay, not so, Mormon, not Catholic. <laughs> not Mormon, not Catholic. <laughs> you said that's your story in a nutshell. Can you like dive into that a little bit more? Like you said, you weren't planning on having this many kids and you enjoyed yeah. them. I just am curious. Yeah. Well, and that is actually part of our story into um, a very legalistic mindset. Mm-hmm. We decided to homeschool when our oldest was four and not at all for any religious reasons, not at all, but because he was this precocious four-year-old and we were, I was like, oh, this is going to be a disaster in a kindergarten <laughs> classroom. Oh, okay. I'll homeschool him for kindergarten. Yeah. You know, like reluctantly. Oh, okay. And then 
oh, well, first grade would be good. We'll do first grade, you know, and then suddenly he's graduating from our homeschool, you know, 13 years later. And that is just not at all what we set out to do. But in the process, um, at the time in the 90s, the homeschool movement was driven by um, all this false hope. You know, this we were being told that homeschooling would save our kids. We were being told that, you know, if we just did it this way and we just did it that way, we were going to have these kids who we could launch from our shoulders because they would just be solid believers. And, you know, and of course, as a parent, as a young parent, I'm thinking, yeah, that's what I want. You know, I, I want these kids who follow Jesus. And I want, I want kids who don't make the same mistakes I did and, you know, all of those things. And so, um, honestly, we were driven so much by our fear, um, but also driven by a lot of pride. Mm-hmm. I always say those are the Siamese twins that got us where we were. And where we were was a, was a homeschool community that, um, really put a lot of stock in having a huge family. Like that was, mm-hmm. you know, children were a blessing, ergo have as many as your, your body can produce. <laughs> so <laughs> there we were. Yeah. Um, and, and actually kind of the funny part of it is we said, we're done at seven. That's it. We, we Seven is our limit. We really, we're in over our heads. And then five months later, I found out I was expecting. <laughs> and I was like, I, I just cried. I took a test in the grocery store bathroom and I just <laughs> cried. And I was like, Lord, we of all people should know how this happens. <laughs> <laughs> So we have this um, this eighth child who ends up being really the beginning of our journey out of relying on so many things that were, we say, just were Jesus plus. It was, you know, mm. our salvation in Jesus plus this behavior, plus this choice, plus this thing we were putting our hope in. So mm. that's, that's really the nutshell story. Yeah. So how did, so this kind of leads into um, the book, I'm assuming, um, which, by the way, for everybody listening, she, um, Kendra has two books. Her first one is Lost and Found, Losing Religion, Finding Grace. And then um, your new book is called Leaving Legalism, Learning to Love God, Others, and Yourselves Again. So yourself again. So the question is, how did your like, how did your faith journey kind of parallel with what you were just talking about with your family journey with homeschooling and all of that? Yeah, so that eighth little baby, when he was seven weeks old, I, I, he woke up kind of late, you know, or I, I was, it was getting late in the morning and I'm thinking, what is, what's the deal? I need to go check on him. So I go in there and um, he's in his little Moses basket in a coma. I mean, I didn't know that at the time, but he was, skin was clammy, lips were blue, eyes were rolled back in his head. And, you know, it's just one of those situations you're not ever expecting to yeah. see. He was completely fine the night before, you know, fed him, put him down around midnight. And, um, that is not what I expected to go find in the morning. And so, you know, the 911 call, they immediately put him in the ambulance. They, they, they can see, you know, something is terribly wrong with this child. I get in the front seat, um, with the driver and we're about halfway down our country road. And, um, the, the EMT in the back yells, his blood sugar's 13. And I didn't know what that meant, but that, uh, that driver, reached under and turned on lights and siren. And I looked at him and I said, what's normal? And he said, 60. Mm-hmm. And so this was a baby in crisis. And we were, you know, off to that ER. And by the time we got there, they just didn't know what to do for him. Um, at one point I heard the chargers yelling, we're going to lose this baby if we don't get him out of here. So they, they put him in an acute care ambulance. Actually, it's funny that you said that about the wildfires because 
it was a summer of, of massive wildfires on the coast of California. They couldn't fly him by helicopter to oh, the wow. children's hospital because of the, the air quality. So they put him in this ambulance, they slammed the door shut and they said, I'm sorry, you can't come. So we jump in our car, you know, clothes on our back kind of thing, race down the freeway behind this, uh, this ambulance. And when we get there, same thing. We, I'm sorry, you can't come in. We don't know what's wrong with your baby. Um, so they call us back to the hospital around midnight and um, they said, we have no idea what's wrong with your baby, but he, we know there's liver damage, kidney, liver failure, kidney failure, heart damage, brain damage. Mm. Whoa. You know, like what, what in the world is going on? And, and, and he said, sleep with your cell phones. We don't think he'll make it through the night. So we get up the next morning, you know, we're in a, a city that isn't our own and um, we get to the children's hospital and they said, okay, we figured it out. He, he's contracted the enterovirus and, you know, no idea what this is. We're both Googling right away. Um, and this is in the summer of 2008. So nobody had a smartphone, you know, we're just mm-hmm. like, what information can we grab? And essentially it's, it's a virus um, that follows, falls under an umbrella of like polio and several yeah. other viruses that are considered enteroviruses. Yeah. yeah. And so it was shutting his, him down. He didn't have the immune system yet to fight this thing. Um, and and in that process, you know, I, I'm a mom standing over a, a dying baby uh, in a hospital an hour and a half away from my seven other children. And um, that that can't not change your life. You know, you can't go through yeah. a harrowing situation like that and not have something overwhelm you, um, at least with gratitude for the grace of God in that in that situation, because he did restore him to us. Um, he is he is that little 10 year old boy. Now, um, he has he sustained some brain damage. He has six holes um, in his brain, which is always interesting and exciting because he's a little bit of an anomaly. We can't you know, you can't pin him down. He's not doesn't have autism. He doesn't have Down syndrome. He's just Joe. You know, he just mm-hmm. has his own little little life. And we just kind of roll with that. Um, but <clears throat> about six months after that happened and we brought him home from the hospital, I don't know if you've ever done a hospital stay with a child we or, both have, yeah. you know, with yeah. a spouse or yeah. even yourself, you, it's, it's like you're in an alternate universe while yes. you're at the hospital. Yeah. So you come back and you, you have to just come back and recalibrate mm-hmm. everything. So that's the mode I was in. Like, let's get back. Let's get everybody kind of back. And, um, he, we, I took the kids bowling with some friends right after Christmas, we're driving home and we lived on property at the time with a big circular driveway. I'm in a 12 passenger van. We come around this circle, um, and our five-year-old decides to get out of the van thinking I was going to park. I think I'm running over the curb and I'm running over my five-year-old daughter. Um, and, and, you know, all I'm hearing is my children screaming, mom, mom, you're running over Ansley. And I, again, I'm thinking I'm going over the curb, which I did often in a 12 passenger van. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, like what in the world? I, I, I put this van in park and I just, I just said, Lord, prepare me for what I'm going to see. I, I just, I don't even know what I'm going to find when I come around the back of this van. And I got out and I went around that back of the fan and there she was sitting up crying. Um, and again, like, what, what, what is this, what is this situation in this scenario? It's an emergency situation. It's, you know, it's rushing her inside. It's calling my husband. And in the moment we made the best decision we thought possible. We didn't call 911. She wasn't spitting up blood. She was, you know, she was crying. She was responding. She got up and walked some of that, um, walked back into the house. 
And we didn't make a 911 call, but we did take her to the ER. But when I got there, somebody didn't like that choice and they called CPS. So my, my first mother's nightmare of running over a child has now become my second worst nightmare. They've called CPS. They're, you know, coming out to the house, talking to the children, talking to my husband. Meanwhile, she and I are transported back down to the children's hospital. And as it turns out, she had a fractured pelvis. She was completely fine. She was five years old. So, you know, in God's grace, she bounced back, literally her little, you know, her little bones just bounced back and protected her organs. And, and she was fine, but my world was totally rocked. And in that hospital setting, we stayed a night um, with her in the hospital. I, I stayed a night with her. I clearly heard God say to me, Kendra, your hope is in everything but me, mm-hmm. everything but me. You, your hope is in your homeschooling. Your hope is in your good parenting choices. It's in the church you go to. It's in, you know, all these things you guys have done. And, and you've just forgotten what this is all about. And so our worlds are rocked again. And I come home and I'm, I probably had some form of PTSD. You know, I mean, now if I can put a name to it, that's probably what was going on because I'm seeing CPS in my windows. They're not there. You know, there's no social workers peeking in. And, yeah. and, and even in that grace, the social worker said, you guys, I knew this was moot. You know, I mean, I just knew this. You guys are fine. I'm not, this isn't even going anywhere. I'm just doing my job. But it, yeah. it so rattled me at the core and was such a good indicator that my hope was indeed in everything I was doing yeah. because I wasn't trusting that God had this, you know, and he had our backs. I was so concerned that we had the right social worker, that the doctor knew I wasn't a monster, that, you know, all these things, my hope was just everywhere, but in, in God. So there again, worlds are rocked, life has changed. And a year later, (laughs) our whole family gets the flu. We're all throwing up. We're all sick. 10 people with the flu. That was super fun. And um, one of our daughters isn't getting better. She's sick as can be. And we just kept thinking, well, she's not getting better. And my husband came home one night and said, you know what? I wonder if she's getting dehydrated. Let's really push some liquids. And then tomorrow, if she's not getting better, let's, let's take her to the doctor. Well, <laughs> tomorrow when we woke up, our eight-year-old was in septic shock. Mm-hmm. So we rushed that girl to the ER and um, turns out ruptured appendix that had gone septic um, a, probably a day before we even knew she was that sick. We were all sick, all of us. Yeah. And so now I'm in the hospital thinking, okay, you know what? I do deserve worst mother of the year award. This is, this is the most horrible thing that has ever happened. I can't believe I missed this. And a nurse graciously said to me, oh honey, this, this happens all the time. This is what appendix is. They, they just hide under illness all the time. You just need to give yourself some grace. And I thought, okay, in, in a reverse situation here, again, what a way to show me where my hope was, you know, here again, my hope is like, Oh, I'm a terrible mother. I didn't make the right choice. I didn't. And this, this gracious nurse looked at me and said, honey, this isn't your fault. This is, this is what happens. It's it's okay. We ended up spending three weeks in ICU with her. She was so badly infected. It it took three surgeries to get that cleared. The third surgery, they, they couldn't decide who was going to take that surgery um, because they had to skirt her femoral artery to um, place a drain deep yeah. into her pelvis. And nobody at the hospital wanted to take responsibility for that surgery, which I understand eight-year-old girl, 
you know, super harrowing situation. Um, but we waited 24 hours to even have a surgeon pony up and say, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> and so, um, you know, again, three, three situations, we almost lose three kids in 18 months and we come back just totally wrecked, totally wrecked and not, not in a faith way. We knew God was, was over it all. We knew, we knew we loved him. We knew we still believed he had all of this in hand, but our systems, our religious um, props, you know, our, our idols we had erected for ourselves were, were utterly destroyed. And we had to rebuild a faith based on the work of Christ because we had gotten so far away from that in the 10 years that we had spent really shifting our hope to everything other than the gospel. Yeah. Wow. So when you talk about religious props, in case anybody who's listening doesn't know what you mean by that, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean when you say religious props and what are some examples of that for you that you were using? Yeah, sure. So I, I really believe that, that we are just all legalists at heart. Like we're just all really good. You know, like I think most of us come to faith and we say, Oh, the gospel. It's so beautiful. There's nothing I did to deserve this. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Okay, so now tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, give me the list. Now, how do I do this? And and that's that is legalism. That's us saying, give me the laws, I can follow them. And of course we can't. We can't follow them. That's why we need Jesus. Um and so I don't think we think we're idolaters. You know, we're not we don't most of us have what you know, we don't erect a golden calf and, and worship it. And we don't, you know, we don't do big pillars and, and, and things, but in our hearts in it, in our own faith journey, we often build these things up in our own lives. And, and, and it's anything I, I can wake up in the morning and say, Oh gosh, I really hope that, you know, this thing will, will be the thing that, that turns the corner in our family or, um, you know, our oldest, actually, I didn't share this part, but our oldest was diagnosed with bipolar disorder about three years ago. And I, I spent a good amount of that time, like, oh gosh, if only, you know, if only he could have the right counselor, if only we could find the right meds. And honestly, those are just idols I've shifted my hope to, you know, I mean, we, we talk about this all the time, this, this concept of hope shifting, you know, like I've, I've erected this thing in place of a God who says he will be all the things to us that he will, he will provide all of my needs faithfully. But somehow I like to insert these things. Well, gosh, if we only do this, and if we only, if we get our finances in order, that will, that will change our marriage. If we, you know, if we um, go away for this marriage conference, gosh, that will fix everything. Yeah. If we get this child into this Christian school, that will be the thing that, you know, cements their faith. If we, you know, you can make a list of a million things and we all do this. Um, and so, for us, it was, you know, like I said in the beginning, for us, it was homeschooling. And let me tell you, homeschooling is a lousy savior. <laughs> it's just a really, really bad substitution. Um, and, and here we are 21 years later, um, where I said I'd never homeschool. But 21 years later, I'm still homeschooling a couple of kids because it's the right choice for them. And because it's been a, a really beautiful tool in our family. But it is not the thing that is going to save my kids. It's yeah. just not. Yep. Um so that, that is really, anytime we put something in the place of God's good work in our life, anytime we take a tool he's given us, so many good tools. Um, you guys are, are heading into a week of Lent and talking about that um, or coming out of that. Or um, you, you talked about being, you know, that's your podcast focus for the next few weeks. Lent is a beautiful tool. I love it. it it's so often 
puts my heart back on, you know, to where it should be focusing. But we could take that and say, this is the thing that's going to solve this problem in my life. This yeah. is the thing. If I, you know, if I do this, if I, if I, if I head in this direction, if we go to this church, if we listen to this, I'm sorry, this sermon, this will be the thing. And it's never the thing. Those are beautiful tools and gifts God has given us. Um, and we're just really lovely at shifting our hope to the tools and the gifts. And we, we saw this in, in Exodus, the, the Israelites did the same um, when they, they shifted all their hope to all the lovely things they were given in Egypt, even though they were in bondage to those things. Um, and that's, that's really what we do. We end up in bondage to all the lovely gifts and tools God's given us. So there it is in a nutshell too. So I'm curious. um, So if legalism didn't seem to work for you, like you wouldn't have done it, right? Like we don't, we don't chase these things if we don't think they're working. So I'm curious what it was that you were, was it a sense of security? Was it a sense of control? Like what was underneath the idols for you? That's such a good question. Um, and I think going back to the, the beginning of saying fear and pride, mm-hmm. I think those were the, the real um, motivators initially. You know, I, I mean, every young parent takes this baby and goes, oh, great. Now what? You know, where, yeah. where's that blueprint? Where's that, where's that manual? I, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, it's, it's easy to change diapers. That, that was the easy part. It was, it's, you know, now I've got spiritual formation. Now I've got, oh, gosh, my child is a sinner. what do I do with that? You know, Oh my goodness. How do I, you know, and, and so there was fear mixed in with that as well. And we had three little boys when we started to homeschool and, you know, three little boys, they, they're just busy people. And there was, there was fear about how I was raising these three little boys. So that was part of it. And then a pride really probably mixed in with some control of like, Mm -hmm. well, gosh, if we do it this way, well, then certainly we're doing it the right way. And that will lead to, you know, A plus B equals B. And truly forgetting Jesus paid it all in all of that. Like this was, I was given the Holy spirit to walk alongside of me as a mom and I could fully rely on that, but instead inserted, you know, all of these great tools and all of these, these good methods and put my hope in them. You know, it was subtle probably, but didn't, you know, didn't set out to do that. But, um, but we find ourselves a, a decade later, thinking we're going to the right church, we're doing the right things, we're reading the right version of the Bible, we're, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're using the right curriculum, you know, everything was about doing all these right things. And then, you know, you find out really, as right as they might be, they're, they're just not, um, they're just not our salvation. Yeah. They're not our hope. Yeah. And I, I like what you said earlier about how we're all legalists at heart, but I think there are some of us with certain personalities that lend itself <laughs> more towards that. So um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a, in a Catholic home, but we didn't go very often anyways. But we, but I grew up in a Christian, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, became a Christian when I was 18. And like you were saying earlier, like you were very, dra- I was very drawn to the gospel. Um, it made sense. It clicked. The Holy Spirit did his work and I became a Christian. And my first instinct was to become legalistic because it's yeah. that sense that it, my personality lends itself to one of being type a anybody who ever listens to the podcast will know that like I like to check off lists I like rules I like I like things to be objective I mean I like I like things to be objective instead of subjective and so objective is easier for me some people subjective is easier I like objectiveness because subjectiveness is hard um and it's hard to um 
lean into the spirit, at least from my personality, lean into the spirit and be intimate with God and have him guide me, it's a lot easier for me to follow a set of rules. That's not the case for everybody, but for me it is. And so mine is a control thing and an ease thing. It is easier and takes less work on my part, which sounds weird and counterintuitive. It takes less work on my part to follow these sets of rules yeah. than it does to lean to the spirit and allow him to guide and, and allow God's grace to lead me and to become intimate with God. Because we'll talk about this in a second. God does call us still to things. So we still are supposed to do things mm-hmm. and to obedience. But obedience yeah. is easier when we're following a set of rules than it is when we're when we're like, God, just lead me. So, mm-hmm. um, but the next thing I want I want to lean to, we'll go back to that in a second. So you've written two books. You've written a book on losing religion and then leaving legalism. Those two books, I'm assuming you're different or you wouldn't have written two books. <laughs> how did they, look? <laughs> you know, where were you when you wrote the first one versus the second one? And I guess, how do they play together? Yeah. Um, so the first one I wrote, I, I actually write for a ministry called Key Life, which is out of Florida. Um, and Key Life said, hey, we want, we want your story. They love to tell stories of gospel, um, just, just the gospel changing people's lives. And, and that's what happened. I mean, honestly, if we, if we just said it succinctly, it's that we remembered the gospel. My husband will say we had gospel amnesia. You know, I mean, just, we, we, we lost the simple truth that Jesus took all of our sin and, and said it's finished. We lost that somehow in the process of, yeah. of our faith, which is ridiculous. And, um, you know, that's, that is our faith right there. And, and so they love to tell those kind of stories. They said, um, hey, we want you to write your story and we want to publish this book. And so really, Lost and Found is the story um, that I told you about our three kids and what God had done and, and delves far more into hope shifting and that whole aspect of it. But as, after that book was, was published about two years ago, I had a lot of people writing me or, or coming to say to me, you know, this was really helpful to hear your story. It was very helpful to put it in that frame of mind and say, oh gosh, where have I become a legalist? You know, where am I relying on things or um, methods instead mm-hmm. of, of the word of God, instead of the Holy Spirit in my life? And so can you tell me how I walk out of this situation. You know, a lot of people struggle to even leave um, a legalistic situation because either they were raised in it and so that's become their their family community. You know, that's really tricky when that's your, um, gosh, when that's your whole community yeah. and, and you walk away, you're saying, I'm going to walk away from, you know, gosh, every, everybody I love and everything I know and everything we do together. So there's that aspect, but then there's also the aspect of like, I don't think I can trust God anymore. You know, mm-hmm. God is just, I, I did everything I was supposed to do. I put the quarter in the machine and I didn't get back what I thought I was going to get back. You know, I, I did what God asked me to do, but yeah. he didn't give me what I wanted back. And and I think our hearts do that often. You know, I, I find myself doing that like, well, gosh, God, you know, I followed you so faithfully here. You know, we did what we thought we were supposed to do. How can you now uh, afflict my son with a mental illness? You know, that, yeah. so just that kind of like, wait a minute, I did the right thing. How come? And, um, and so people were saying that, like, how do I, how do I come back to faith in God when I'm so angry with him? How do I love God again? How do I love the God of the Bible and not the God that was 
um, communicated to me as wrathful and angry and always disappointed in me. Um, And then I think the sort of the, you know, going hand in hand with that is then a lot of people feel like they can't love themselves anymore. Like I, I'm so detestable. How do I even love who God has created me to be? Um, So that's why I wrote leaving legalism really not as a, a, you know, not as like a, a manual because then I'm just telling you what to do. <laughs> but when I wrote, you know, when I wrote that book, I, I did have a, a friend who was who was going through and editing with me. And she said, you know, Kendra, people who are leaving legalism are used to being told what to do. So you should probably add some questions to the end of each chapter so that at least they can, they can say, okay, I'm going to take this. And I'm going to ask myself this question. I'm going to do something with this, you know? Yeah. Um, so there is a lot of that, like just walking the reader through some of those hard, hard questions, uh, there's, there's some stuff in there that I think if you're not really ready to deal with all the junk um, deep in your heart, it, it's going to be hard. But uh, I talk about, um, there's a whole chapter on, on walking or running into the burning building. And that if we don't do that, we salvage nothing. You know, you're going to get burned. It's going to hurt. But unless we really deal with the deeper um issues that are burning the house down will we'll salvage nothing. And so, you know, it's, it's tough. It's a tough place mm-hmm. to be. It's tough to say I'm angry at God because I've been presented with this God who I'll never measure up to um, instead of the gospel that tells us we are justified. We are, we are made right because of what Jesus did. Um, yeah. So, and then a lot of reminders to that too, like, Hey, don't forget the other side of just as if I never sinned is just as if I'd always obeyed. And that's what God sees because he sees Christ um, instead of you. So a lot of reminders of that as well. I think once we grasp that, um, which I would be lying if I said I fully grasped that uh, because in my humanity, I don't, but I think, you know, once we really can, 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 accept this idea or this truth that we are so loved thoroughly by God, it just can change everything. It changes everything. Yeah. So we talk a lot um, on Woven about the pendulum swing in all areas, not just this area, but the, the pendulum swing. And yeah. I mean, the goal of our podcast is in every, every area that we delve into and talk about is finding the balance in that. So I guess let's talk about that a little bit about the swinging, swinging yeah. pendulum between law and grace because they're both present in scripture and obedience is present in scripture as well as grace. So I guess in a nutshell, how would you explain that pendulum and where we should rest? Yeah. And, uh, you know, every time I talk about the pendulum, I feel like God has given me something new and fresh. And, and this week it happens to be that I, I just finished reading um, Leviticus, which is always pleasant, isn't it? <laughs> like, like, I just finished Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then now I'm heading into numbers. I'm like, what am I doing to myself? But, um, but what I'm doing is, is a, like freshly seeing that from the very beginning, God communicates to his people his love for us. Like he starts with that. He always starts with, this is who I am. And this is who you are because of who I am. And there you go. Like right there. If we start from a place that we recognize who God is, we recognize who we are in him, which because of Christ is redeemed and justified. Then we can, we say, all right, Lord, because I am yours, I want to follow you. There, right there. That's it. Right. Like that's, that's where, where the grace and the mercy leads to repentance, right? We, we know that God, his loving kindness leads us to repentance. So he shows us his loving kindness. And then we say, 
oh my goodness, thank you, God, for loving me so much. Oh, oh, what Christ did on my behalf. At that point, we have to ask ourselves, why wouldn't we want to obey? Why wouldn't we want to follow him? You know, all of his laws in scripture, even in the Old Testament, you know, all the, the, the laws that I, I read and I think, oh, I'm so thankful for Christ that I don't have to do this <laughs> stuff, you know, all of these laws, um, the Ten Commandments, um, the imperatives in the New Testament to love God and love others, they, they're an outpouring of our understanding of who we are in God, and they are for our good because He loves us so. They're, they're like a guardrail, you know, on the on the side of the freeway. Um, it's, I could choose to disobey or ignore that guardrail, but I'll probably plunge to my death. So that's not a good idea, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so the guardrails of God's law and of God's um, precepts and of His wisdom that He gives us in Scripture are there because He loves us. The guardrails on the freeway are there because some government entity said, gosh, we should probably keep our our people safe. (laughs) We're going to put this guardrail up. And so it's such a different thing when we come from a position of knowing who we are and knowing what he's done for us. Then if we start with, all right, I've got to keep these laws because if I don't, he won't love me. And that right there is the difference between understanding who we are in light of the gospel and, and saying, this following God thing or this following Jesus thing, it's all about what I must do. And if I don't live up to it, he'll be disappointed in me. Yeah. He, he's not. We start from a place of him saying, I'm your God. You're my people. I love you so thoroughly. Here's, here's what I'm giving you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, um, um, looking through some of your stuff from your book and you were talking about how, when we sit in kind of this legalistic mindset, um, as Christians, we know that we're called to evangelism and to discipleship and all of those things. And you talk about how we end up evangelizing a lifestyle sometimes. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, in our zeal, and I, I don't know, I'll, I'll go back a little bit, Rebecca, to what you said about um, being type A. I don't know if you guys, are you Enneagram girl? Yeah. Yep. Do you do any of that stuff? Okay, yep. type one here. My so, husband's a one. I'm a four. Yeah. She's a four, and I'm a <laughs> okay. three. I'm a three, but I mistype myself as a one. I'm actually a three because my my motivations okay. are different than a one, but I am still kind of in that area, that arena. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I'm one married to a three. Yeah, oh goodness! <laughs> so, I'm a three married to an like, eight. I understand. <laughs> yeah, we're just like the, this ridiculous power couple who gets stuff done, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I get so. it. Yeah. And so um, in that, I think it's very easy, um, especially for for my personality and then being married to a guy who's who's just this goal oriented go getter who can walk into a room, read a crowd and then like have everybody eating out of the palm of his hand. Um, And I, you know, and then I'm like, give me the list and I'll create it for you. You know, what do you want to get done? I'll I'll make the list. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, it's very easy then to say, um, look it, if you just do it our way, then this will all work out for you. So let me tell you how to homeschool your kids. Um, or let me tell you, look at if you just uh, follow Jesus this way, or you just do this Bible study, or you, you know, suddenly now I'm evangelizing things that God has, has brought to us in our lives or in our family, a lifestyle. Um, and, and putting, propping those up is really the, the, the way, you know, what people should do or how, what they should follow. Um, instead of saying, hey, look, here's Jesus. Hey, don't forget, there's Jesus. And as a parent, as a mom, 26 years now into parenting, 
it was such a hammer to the head blow about a decade ago when all of this happened to realize that really the only thing I could do was point my kids to Jesus. You know, like all of these things we were doing in these parenting styles and the the things we were upholding in our home or, you know, what if whether we spanked or didn't spank or, you know, all of the choices, they were good tools. Um, they were a lifestyle we had chosen, but they weren't Jesus and they were never going to be to my children. And so um, that's really what I mean by evangelizing a lifestyle, whether it's to our children or to a friend or to somebody at church is, is by, you know, it, when anything overtakes me saying, Hey, let me remind you there's, there's Jesus. And, and here he is, here's what he did for you. Hey, don't forget. And, and it seems silly, but honestly, in, in the community we're in now in our, in the church that we, you know, all the people we kind of roll with, these aren't unusual texts to get from one another. Um, or even just with my husband, like, Hey, don't forget to live as loved today. Like you are so loved. Don't forget, you know, live in that overflow of God's love for you. Um, or, you know, being a writer comes with a million rejections all the time. And so he will often say to me, yeah. And he'll often say to me, um, when the last rejection, you know, happens and I am telling him, ah, they didn't want that proposal or whatever. And he'll say, so where's your hope? you know, where's your hope right now? Like, where, where are you, where are you looking to find your, your security and your worth and your value? And it's always pointing me back to Jesus. So that, that's what I mean by like, are we pointing each other to Jesus? Are we reminding each other of the gospel? Or are we saying, Hey, if you did this thing, you know, if you only demand fed your kids, that would just solve everything. Mm -hmm. They'll be fabulous believers. You know, I don't, (laughs) it's so goofy, don't we? You know, well, I just think yeah. that's so tempting, especially in our culture nowadays, where everyone's a parenting expert and anybody with an Instagram account is an influencer. And it's just, it's, <laughs> it's such a different world, I feel like, than it was even a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and everyone's trying to tell you what to do and what will make you successful and make money off of it. And it's just, it's really, it's tempting because, I mean, following God is can be murky and you're having to learn to trust yourself and trust discernment. I mean, it's, it's hard work. I mean, you're a tired parent or just a tired person. It's not even just parenting. I mean, it's anything. It's like, it's just so tempting to say, well, that person looks there. They look happy. So I'm going to do what they're doing mm-hmm. and then I'll be and right. it's so tempting. And I, and our pastor always says, you know, like 10, he always says sin is 10 degrees off from good. Like, it's not like the opposite of what you should be doing. It's usually just like a little off. And I just keep thinking of that. Like, I don't think people fall into legalism with a bad motive. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're just trying to, to make it and do a good job and please God. And we forget that we already have. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think even the people that still really, you know, unfortunately, I, I'm still a sinner. <laughs> so I get really viscerally angry with people who are still leading others into a legalistic mm-hmm. fix, yeah, you know? Um, and it just, it just makes me angry, um, which it's not, it's not righteous anger. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's been, um, but it still really bothers me because we're so good at doing that. And, and the people I think largely who are still leading others down that path, they are 10 degrees off themselves. You know, it's feeding something for them. It's feeding their own pride or it's Mm -hmm. feeding their own guilt because they, they are still hanging on to something that they know doesn't work, but gosh, I can't, you know, I can't really admit I'm wrong. So I'm going to keep pushing this thing or this agenda or, you know, whatever. And 
and it's just, it, it, it's so hard for me to watch that because I lived in that space for 10 years um, and it's a terrible place to live. It's just hopeless. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. You just said um, admitting that you're wrong and how hard it is to do. So, so 10 years ago, this process started for you. So what did that look like for you and your husband to admit that what you were doing was wrong and to move forward? <laughs> you know, I, that's, I don't know that I can say clearly there was this like aha moment, yeah. um, but there were certainly several, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, standing, uh, well, there was a, a situation when our baby, our first little guy was in the hospital and there was a young woman who had been brought in really to die um, on that, that floor. She had cancer. She was a teenager. Um, and we watched a vigil for her, you know, just pass by our door and into her room. Her room was right across the hall from us. Um, and so we watched for three days, uh, everybody come in and out of that room. Beautiful uh, Mexican family who, you know, here in California, we just see they are, the, they have the most amazing community here. Um, and so, you know, when somebody's in the hospital, they fill, literally fill the, li- the waiting room, you know, yeah. I mean, so. I'm from Texas, so I, I understand, support. I got it. <laughs> yeah, I get so the much yeah. beautiful support and family. And I mean, it just, it was just, yeah. it was lovely and heartbreaking at the same time, you know, to watch all of that. And the night that she died, um, I was in Joe's room, um, you know, during kind of the evening visiting time. And I just heard this mom wailing in the hallway and I knew what had happened. And that was kind of the first wake up call where God was, was showing me that we had put our hope in all these things that didn't matter. And that really at the end of the day for this mom and for that girl and for potentially my baby, because we didn't know if we would lose Joe or not in that, at that time. And for myself was that all of those things we were doing, um, the dress lengths and the, you know, the baking our own bread and the, you know, whatever, all the things we were so caught up in at the time, none of that was Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, our only hope, the only hope I could give that mom in the hallway was, was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know, you know, people have asked me since like, well, did you know she wasn't safe? I'm like, well, I know I didn't know that. But the point was like, I couldn't go out there and say to her, you should wear a head covering. You should, you know, like the litany of things, which are all can all be good things. But those weren't the things that were going to bring her, you know, eternal hope for the life of her daughter and her her family. And so that was the first thing that sort of like rocked my world a little bit. I had I walked out of that that ICU two weeks later kind of going, huh, wow, (laughs) you know, like, hmm, there's some things to think about. And then, you know. I, I never like to say that God did these things to us so that he would wake us up, but he certainly used three, in, you know, these three things in a row that so shook our family. And, and it was a process during that time. And we began to see some things within our community and within the church that we were um, heavily involved in. Actually, we start, we, we, helped start that church because there was no other perfect church. So we had to start it. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's usually the first step, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, Oh, there was no way there was any other church that was going to be good enough and doing it right. So we started it <laughs> and, you know, literally in our living room. Um, and so, you know, that was, it was a process of sort of, uh, you know, gently because God is often so gentle with us, you know, he just gently let it, let us, and down this path and opened our eyes to the things that we were seeing. And then suddenly I was seeing things within our community. I I was watching, Oh gosh, I was watching men in our church literally corner a visitor 
in, in the hallway and, and drill him about what his views of the end times were. Oh, yeah. and, and I'm standing there thinking, you know, like, are you kidding me? I almost lost my baby. Like I, I was standing over a dying child last week and this is what's important. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this guy has never been to our church before and you're not even talking to him about Jesus. You know, you're not even talking about the living God. You're, you're asking him if he agrees with your eschatology. Are, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, so there were just like, just the, you know, yeah. our eyes began to be opened and, and we don't look back on that community and blame anybody. We, we were to blame. It was our own hearts mm-hmm. that were seeking idols, you know, instead of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you changed churches, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> we did. And we told our kids, um, don't get comfortable. We're just landing. And we've been at the same church for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So how does the community look different? I mean, you kind of described your, your old community and how that kind of um, fed into, you know, the lifestyle you guys had chosen. But like what, now yeah. what does the community look like? How is it different? This is not a perfect church of course by not. any means. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, always, my husband actually serves now as an elder, so we get all the complaints. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you get to hear what everybody doesn't agree with or doesn't like or, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, I, I'm also almost 50 years old and, and at my age at this point, I'm like, you know, guess what? <laughs> there's just nothing perfect outside of heaven. So we take the good, we take the bad, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not, I, I would never say, oh gosh, we landed at just really the perfect church. But I will tell you that the difference for us uh, immediately what I realized was that the, the leadership in, in the church where we are now got out of the way and allowed me to see Jesus for the yeah. first time in years where I felt like it wasn't about them, how they mm. were preaching, what they were doing, um, you know, how we were all going to measure up to the sermon illustrations that were about our family. <laughs> I clearly <laughs> um, but they they just got out of the way and and I would yeah. say that to this day like here I am almost a decade later in this church saying um wow I feel like when I'm there people are so adept we, we've learned kind of a the little you know motto or whatever that we say often is that we we exist to speak the love of God into each other's lives um, inside and outside the church. We can bring the gospel here inside the church. We can have these conversations outside of the church. But really, the whole entire goal is to say, look, here's Jesus. Let's breathe the gospel into each other's lives day to day. And 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 I think we do that well. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody who would say we don't. (laughs) But, um, you know, our experience has been that this is really what our community and our church is about. Um, All the other stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. You know. So, um, I guess kind of before we wrap up, um, how, how have your kids seen the shift and dealt with the shift and processed the shift? Because your older children were older when you went through this process with your younger children, um, and then kind of this process with your faith in God and leaving legalism. So how did, how did that play out with your older kids? I'm just curious. Yeah. So they were, our oldest two were 17 and 15 when we left. So, you know, prime ages. Um, and they, they had different journeys. Um, I, we would say our 15 year old was saved at a, like a missions opportunity he had right after we left the church. Um, and he probably would have told you he was saved prior to that, but about a year or two after we left that community, um, he came to me and he said, you know, mom, I used to sit in church and think, 
if this is Christianity, I want no part of it. Mm. And in that same moment that my, my stomach dropped and I thought, Oh Lord, you know, I, the guilt I carry for having raised that boy, you know, in that church, really most of his life, um, was so also offset by the, 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 just the, the utter gratitude I had that God had pulled us out, yes. you know, and that, that, that son had been able to, to see Jesus and to find Christ. And so 15 years old, you know, on down, second child on down, they really had a, a, a gospel paradigm, you know, a, a whole different shift in our family and how we talk about God and how we live our lives within our home. Our oldest son, I, I, like, as I mentioned, he, he battles um, a mental illness that is crippling to him. And he was just here yesterday. He loves to talk theology and philosophy. He's super smart, but he, um, he's lost. I mean, he just, he struggles so very much. Uh, because he came out of a, of a, you know, a very legalistic rules based, yeah. do these things and God will accept you. And then he feels like he, he got this giant cosmic, you know, which he'll say like this. He, he, told, he told me last time, he said, I feel like God took my game and set it on hard mode. And, and this is true. His, his yeah. life is hard mode. You know, yeah. I mean, bipolar disorder is terrible. Yeah. And his life is triply hard from mine. And I tell him that all the time. Um, he's married. And they, she has her own mental illness issues and their, their life is hard. Um, and so I, you know, I, we have those discussions all the time, but he just feels like God dealt him a hard blow. So, you know what, he's 26. Um, at this point, my husband always says, you don't call the game at halftime. We still walk alongside. We still remind him of the gospel. We still point him back to Jesus. We still enter these hard, hard conversations with him. Um, and so, you know, it is what it is. Our, his salvation was never going to be about what we did anyway, yeah. even when we thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> so now, you know, to be on this end of it and, to, yeah. and to, say, to be grateful and say, thank you, Lord, for bringing us to a place where we recognize that Hayden's salvation never was going to rest on anything we did or didn't do anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that we needed to be faithful parents. And we were. We really thought we were being very faithful parents. Um, in the midst of it, God was going to do his work one way or the other, yeah. you know, so without us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hard to, it's hard to recognize that, isn't it? As parents, yes. like we want, we want yeah. to know that all this effort is going to pay off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I often, I have to remind myself often. I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, so I'm just like starting to breach with my nine-year-old girl because she, you know, she's nine, going on nineteen. So, like, I'm starting to breach, you know, kind of like the hard questions and the preteen stuff is happening and all of that, and I'm starting to realize that um, I have to tell myself over and over, like. She's Jesus's. She's not mm-hmm. mine. Um, even though yes. I want to have like this tight hold and grasp. And um, this is, yeah, just a really good reminder that my job is to point her to Jesus. My job isn't to say you need to do this. You need mm-hmm. And her personality is one. She is a one. I mean, I, you're not supposed to type your kids and I don't tell her this, but she's a one and she's very <laughs> black and white. So her personality would lend itself to like wanting a list of rules and regulations. So, and I can feed into that as a very similar personality. So just remembering that like, it's, it's just, Jesus um, is really good. Yeah, um, it is. Which doesn't mean, you know, I've had people also ask, like, well, so then you just not, you know, everything everything goes in your house? And I'm like, well, heck no. I mean, I, I want to enjoy my kids, and I want society to enjoy my kids, <laughs> yeah. and I want them to be, you know, respectful human beings, and I want them to be able to hold a job, and I, you know, but yes, yes there are house rules, and yes, you will be disciplined if you, of course, <laughs> you know, if you keep doing why. that thing yeah. you shouldn't be doing. Yeah, because, you know, that's, I love my kids, so I want to put up the guardrails, um, but it just means I'm not relying on those things anymore to 
to yes. turn out stellar human beings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that kind of like sets up my closing question, which is we're, this is our Lent series. So we're talking about leaving legalism, but we're talking about Lent, which can get super legalistic. So how do you approach things like Lent now or Advent or these like set aside times that can turn into rules or even quiet times daily? Like your, 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 you know, your devotional life, uh, all of those things can turn towards legalism. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because part of my journey out of all of that was having to spend a good five years, probably really extricating. What does it mean to follow Jesus from all of the things that had been, had really been part and parcel of my faith my whole life. So I was raised in a a believing home. My parents love the gospel. Um, They, (laughs) they gave us lots of warnings, you know, when we were in our real legalistic decade, but we didn't listen to them. Um, And so (laughs) Yeah, of course, because we were so much smarter. We had it all together. Um, but, you know, even my my evangelical childhood, or I was raised for a lot of years, my high school years, kind of my formative spiritual years were in a Presbyterian church. And so I had to take a look at all of that. Like, what was my evangelical childhood, my Presbyterian um you know, youth group bent, then this foray into this very legalistic homeschooly, you know, um, hyper-reformed kind of situation. What is, what was all of those things? And what is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Like, what is the Holy Spirit asking of me? So it took a long time to separate the two. And part of that, I know this is probably, would be horrible for some people to hear, and you can write me off if you want. But part of that was that I stopped reading my Bible. Because for me, Bible reading had always been about the religious behavior. It had Mm -hmm. always been about checking off the list. It had always been about being able to talk about what I had read about to other people so that they would know that I had read my Bible, you know? (laughs) And so I just had to stop. And, and honestly, now I very rarely use my Bible. I am, I almost always listen. Because for somehow, you know, for whatever reason, an audible version does not do that to me. So I I listen. Yeah. It's super interesting. But even that, like I I have to even check that and say, well, am I becoming, you know, like super legalistic about the, the audio Bible thing or, you know, or like the version or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it can become that. Um, my husband and I actually, uh, it can. And we, we, uh, we attend a Lutheran church once a month, they have a contemplative service that we go to once a month. And we love the community there. And, and the pastor just said to us on Saturday, Hey, our lunch service or our Ash Wednesday service is going to be, you know, at noon and we'd love to have you guys. And we're already like, great, you know, but is it a beautiful tool, you know, for lack of a better word, are these beautiful gifts that God has given us to point us to the gospel? Because you guys know, if you're in a liturgical setting, you are getting the gospel. year round. Like it is communicated beautifully through liturgy. But my husband grew up in the Episcopalian church and he says he missed it every single Sunday as a child, like didn't even, but when he looks back on it now and and goes back and reads, you know, the book of common prayer, whatever, he's like, Oh my goodness, it's all here. It's just beautifully. But because it was very dry, very ritualistic, very much a legalistic kind of thing, he missed it entirely. So I think it can become that, but it doesn't have to become that, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's been beautiful for us to be, to be back into um, a liturgical setting uh, and, and worshiping and taking communion with these people in this, in this uh, completely different church than the one we go to every Sunday. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's all in what, 
how you're viewing it yeah. for sure. I've, I feel like um, you know, we're, we're at an Anglican church, um, so how, Book of Common Prayer. Um, but um, one of my so I grew up Catholic. My husband grew up Southern Baptist. We've met in the middle. Um, so, um, so we go, we've, we, we, we've been married almost 18 years. So we've been in a lot of different churches, but this has been the right fit for us. And this isn't a plug for people in Atlanta to come to our church, but it's more Please of, don't. we have too many people. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but it's more of like, there is beauty in the liturgy. And I love what you, what you're, what you're saying. This can bring us back to Lent and that like the, we talked about this in our Lent episode um, from this past week. Week, um, just how the 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 point of giving up stuff for Lent isn't to like check things off a box or mm-hmm. like beat ourselves up and just show us how bad we are and how we need to give up social media or whatever it is. But it's like so that our hands can be open to what God wants to give us. Yeah, you know, and like we let go of those things, so our hands are open and empty for Him to pour into it, and that needs to be our posture with all of these things, with Bible reading or prayer or whatever it is, our posture is always one of we're, uh, we're leaning into God and what, and Mm -hmm. what does that look like liturgy or whatever else? So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah, no, I think that's a beautiful charge really, you know, to listeners is to just say, you know, remind yourself, this is really all about Jesus. (laughs) It's not about where we show up or how we do it. It's, It's God's gift to us, you know? Yeah, that's great. Well, Kendra, thank you so much. We will make sure that in the show notes, um, you know, KendraFletcher.com, they can find all of your stuff there. We'll link to the books on Amazon, all of that. Um, any other thoughts? No, thank you so much for having me. You're this so has been welcome. a delightful conversation. It has been. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Okay, bye. Bye.